everybody. Welcome to episode 107 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. This is our first choice in our trilogy of death. Um, next week it will be, well, I don't know whose choice this is going to be next week. It's going to be me or you. You got one lined up? I don't have one lined up. I think you should. All right, I choose. got one lined up. Okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. So next week we'll watch something I choose. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's get started in the Seventh Seal. Before we begin, uh, Thomas, can you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Absolutely. The Seventh Seal, 1957. A knight returning to Sweden after the Crusades seeks answers about life, death, and the existence of God as he plays chess with the Grim Reaper during the Black Plague. So yes. Yeah, so Daniel, you sort of chose this one we agree both agree to yeah. to watch this one why did you suggest this as the first choice for it the is theme of death the first thing i think of when i think of death uh you know we got this we have death personified and it is a iconic uh imagery of yes. night the night playing against death the grim reaper with his you know white face paint um standing on the beach at the beginning um we've seen it parodied all over the damn place uh you got the bill and ted parody famous yeah <laughs> uh, i'm pretty sure it's been parodied in the simpsons um and this movie like when i first saw this movie i want to say it was in like high school just like flipping through channels and i just come across this black and white movie uh that takes place during the crusades or after the crusades and it just felt so much like it was coming right out of that time. Like it felt like, yeah, like I had no sense of when this movie was made because it feels medieval. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was a weird thing to just like come across because I didn't know who Ingmar Bergman was. And then I, I actually saw it, really saw it for the first time in uh, in junior college. I, I was taking a film course where they showed The Seventh Seal, and it immediately became one of my favorite movies. Um, it's sort of, you know, has fallen by the wayside as I've seen more stuff, but, um, yeah, I was really excited to get back to it because there was a lot that I didn't remember here that was really nice to rediscover. Um, but yeah, tell me like, what, what is your relationship with the seventh seal? So I always, yeah, saw this movie sort of, yeah, being parodied or depicted in other things, but yeah, I can't really pull out an example. I think, yeah, Bill and Ted is the only one. And I remember just being aware that this is like an iconic film with this iconic scene and this performance of this man as death and really being curious about it and wanting to watch it. But uh, I guess there's some somewhat of a hesitancy sometimes for watching older films. And sometimes I'm worried or concerned that they won't be as, I don't know, interesting or as exciting as more modern things. But when I finally sat down to watch this uh, like two months ago, like it fucking blew me away. It just completely sucked me into this movie. And yeah, I don't know. I was, I think I was expecting something more abstract and experimental and slow, but this movie feels just surprisingly modern and it's philosophical and it's deep and it's poetic and it's just a gorgeous film in like every single way. It's like the black and white photography is just stunning in a lot of these shots. And yeah, I just really kind of fell in love with it. But yeah, watching it this time after have sort of being really awed by it the first time I was a little bit more just like kind of honed in on the themes and like what they're trying to get across and 
this idea about the silence of God and the silence of religion, because even though it is featuring this personification of death, this is more of a movie about religion and faith and like a character sort of looking for answers and looking yeah. for knowledge and not really getting it. And I, 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 despite that, I still think it's a fantastic choice because yeah, there's just so many great themes that sort of happen between this chess game between our character Antonius Black, uh, Block, Antonius Block, played by the great Max von Sydow, and like I don't know, there's a really great dynamic between him having these heady conversations with the personification of death, and also just the liveliness of Sweden. It's like we also we follow this like troop of actors going around, and there's. Uh, Mac uh, Antonius's squire, who's like mm-hmm. this really like conflicting character too, and I don't know. There's just so much going on that I think is really fantastic in this movie, and I don't know. Yeah, it, also for our viewers, if you're ever like hesitant about older films, black and white films, foreign films, for the people who are kind of a little skeptical about that, this came out in 1957, black and white film, but I still feel like it's much more modern than what you would expect. And like just like the way that the kind of characters c- converse with each other, there's like a playfulness with some of these characters, and there's just a lot to really like about this movie. And yeah, I'm happy you chose it, and happy you kind of sort of get to dive into it <laughs> the yeah. best that we can. Uh, I'll, I'll confess that sometimes watching black and white stuff bores me. <laughs> like yeah. I, I feel like there's just there's a certain lack of stimulation that makes it harder me to feel engaged because i have this uh you know internet poisoned brain but um yeah we're we're speed reading now (laughs) yeah watching this it's like there's a certain quality to the black and white that makes it feel mythic like it makes it feel a little more magical like there's something i don't know like i I wouldn't want to see this movie in color uh yeah yeah absolutely it feels like I don't know, like a biblical text or something. I mean, it literally starts with like the book of revelations, like a quote from the book of revelations, but it feels, yeah, (laughs) it feels more like a, I don't know, like a found, like, like finding an old book in a fucking well or something like that. (laughs) Like, like there's like a certain magic to just its very existence. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So yeah, let's, get into it uh the opening scene it basically starts off with yeah our our knight and our squire they're like relaxing on the beach uh, assumably after a long sea journey or coming back home and so they're they're resting on the beach and then our character the knight antonius block he is uh he's visited by death death just uh, confronts him and and basically tells them it's time to go like <laughs> it's like it's your time and the knight sort of suggests that they play a game of chess to prolong this and so yeah. what do you um, think about this <laughs> so one of the things i really love about this scene is the audio the sound design so it's yeah. like we're hearing the crashing of the waves and we see the knight already has a chessboard set up which is kind of interesting uh before he even sees death but um yeah we're hearing the crashing of the waves and then the audio sort of like gets sucked out and everything is still and quiet and then that's when we get the appearance of death uh, it's like the appearance of death also sucks out all of the audio of the space yeah. and like we only hear the two voices of these men who are talking with each other about chess and another thing i really like about this is that death has seems to have a little bit of a sense of humor uh because yeah. he because because you know uh the knight does the thing where he has white piece in one hand black piece in another hand lets death choose 
Death Cheese Black, and he says something along so along the lines of like suits me well, don't you think? Yeah. Um, so it's like he's got a little bit of sense of humor to him, and that was another thing I noticed like this time around, which I don't really, which I hadn't really remembered. Usually when I think of Ingmar Bergman, I think of like his movies are depressing, <laughs> like his movies are really bleak, but like there's a lot of humor in this movie, uh, which yeah. we'll get into later. But uh, but yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on this opening scene? Yeah. Also, yeah, I wrote this down too because I think it helps contextualize things a little bit more. There's a a quote that is said at the beginning of this movie and i think it helps sort of give you a little bit uh more of a theme and idea about what's going on and the quote is uh when and when the lamb had opened the seventh seal there was a silence in heaven about the space of half an hour and i think that idea of like that silence goes along with like how our characters are not getting answers about god or religion but also like the silence that death literally brings with him yeah when the waves the sound of the waves disappears and yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, the personification of death is really great here in a way that's hard to describe because it's, he's still pretty subdued. He's not like being, he's not overacting anyways. He's very muted in a lot of ways, but you can tell with like facial expressions and like the way that he physically, like the, the blocking in the later scene, like it's like they're expressing so much through these small nuances. And one of my favorite little moments is. When Antonius, he asks him, he's like, do you, uh, you play chess, right? And he's like, how did you know? Like, death is like yeah. kind of like surprised at like, how do you have this knowledge about me? And he's like, I've seen it in paintings and depictions of music or whatever. And but he feels immediately it, intrigued. Like, yeah. death is on the hook at that point. Yeah, I don't know. There's just a great, just little subtlety in that. And yeah, I think it's just a nice way to sort of get us going. But I also appreciate that it isn't... Uh, dominating the movie it's like once we started that then we get introduced to joff's character and like his wife and the other actor and their little baby mikhail and then joff uh or yoff i think it's pronounced yoff um he has this vision of the virgin mary mm-hmm. walking with christ and he has this brief like vision that he proceeds to tell his wife about it she's kind of just like mocking him a little bit she's like oh remember that time you saw the devil painting your wagon or whatever like you're like you're just saying things like just don't bring these things up and i i don't know i think it, it starts to just tie in really perfectly the fact that we're with this more lighthearted, slightly aloof slightly more playful actor character in his family but he's the character seeing these yeah. really incredible heavy visions and then on the other side of the spectrum is max Fonsito's character who is looking for anything looking for literally any any hint of god in his senses that's one of the ways he words it and yeah like he he sees death but he does he's not getting his answers for god yeah and then but then we also have the third sort of our third male lead which is the squire who is someone who believes that this is all all of this shit is just fanciful uh it's fantasy it's um fanciful is that the right word it's all fantasy fantasy. (laughs) but but like uh yeah he doesn't believe in god or the devil uh to him it's just life is just life is a miracle in itself uh, he lives for himself. He uh, I, I, like we we get an interaction between the squire and a, a painter, and um, let me see if I I wrote down some stuff here. Uh, the squire says he grins at death, scoffs at God. Uh, there's meaningless in heaven and no interest in hell. He lives for himself. Um, so, and I feel like 
I don't know if so, so when I first watched this I, I'm I'm an atheist I, I don't really believe in God um, and so when I first watched this I found myself really connecting with the squire and I don't know if that's just an atheist thing or if that is who Ingmar Bergman wants us to connect with um, yeah. like who do you find yourself connecting with um, I think I'm finding myself connecting with Max von Sydow's character. Uh, like, yeah, Antonius Black says a lot of things, especially in the the scene inside of the confessional booth, in the confessional room inside of this church, when he's he's unknowingly talking to death and he's just like proposing all of these like philosophical questions. And the main thing that he says is like, like, is it so inconceivable to like to just want to comprehend some of this in in the form of senses? Like, is it like such a terrible thing to want that? And also, like, why does God behind why does God hide it behind a cloud of vague promises and unseen miracles? And I definitely really connected with that upon second watch because yeah, I grew up in a pretty religious household and sort of drifted away from it as I got older, as I got more into film, more into art and shit, but not just because of that, just because of a lot of frustrations regarding like the people who I was having conversations with inside of these churches and not being able to get solid answers about things. Yeah. And, uh, like being okay with like ha the idea of faith, but not being okay with people just being shitty towards each other in the uh because of that faith that became really tough for me and yeah as i get older it becomes a little bit more vague and opaque and like not really clear you know as as more things kind of happen but yeah still like i think i'm siding more with antonius block and just sort of looking for any sort of confirmation i think that's a really understandable thing to want and an understandable kind of like philosophical stance to take and yeah, I don't know. I also like I appreciate the character Yoff a lot too because he basically he has kind of everything in a really like quaint, succinct way. Where like he has a family, he has like this job, and he has like the like these visions that are sort of granted to him. So like I'm, like kind of like envious in like in a weird way where it's like yeah, like he's 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 got it. He's all set. He's just like trying to find safety from this fucking horrible plague that's yeah. like sweeping through Sweden and. That's also a moment I really, really appreciate is like when they're walking up to this like dead body and he like I uh, think it's John's he like turns and like looks at the face of it and uh, the knight sort of jokes he's like well was he a mute did he say much and uh, he replies like no he was actually quite eloquent and so oh, like, yeah, I just yeah. love that that idea of like yeah, he didn't say anything but like he said everything he needed to <laughs> yeah, exactly death <laughs> death speaks volumes when you yeah. come that close to it. Um, also when we're introduced to the juggler and his wife, see, I, I just have like the roles written down. I don't really have too many of the uh, character names written down. Gotcha. Well, I, I got you on that. <laughs> but, uh, they're accompanied by this third performer, Scat. Scat. Yeah. I do have his name down. Yeah. Uh, it's he like pulls Scott out... or Scat. <laughs> oh, is it Scott? Is it pronounced Scott? Well, it, well it's, it's all Swedish. So I, I think yeah. it's like a soft A kind I'm of I'm going to say his name Scat. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how it's but, but Scat puts on a skull and he announces that he's playing death uh, and that his role is to remind people that they will die um, The when the squire speaks to the painter the painter paints death and he paints death to remind people that they will die <laughs> so yeah. it's like death is constantly like it's personified it's here we are talking to him but even when we're not talking to him 
he is overshadowing. He is always present. He is always overseeing yeah. uh, every step of this journey. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think about like the role the Black Plague plays in this movie? Because that's something I wasn't expecting at all when I first watched it because I didn't read anything. I kind of just dived in and turned it on. I mean, I think it, it adds to the sort of... <sighs> So it's like they're being chased by death, basically, as the Black Plague spreads. But we also get this scene later on, like like uh, the painter talks about the Black Plague, how horrific it is, and how people like whip themselves and others to try and, yeah. uh, I guess, appease the gods to r- rid the world of the Black Plague or something. But uh, we get this procession later, uh, where everyone is like chanting and whipping themselves and carrying crosses. And it feels like this is all just meant to highlight, like, the madness of man in the face of death. Like, we, death makes us act completely irrational. We don't, like, we cannot fathom our own mortality. And uh, we search for insane answers because we're afraid. Yeah, Um, it's like we'll start burning women at the stake because we think they're wishes. (laughs) It's like, like, I spoke to someone who said, like an atheist who when their children asked him about like god he he was like okay like how do i how do i have this discussion with my kids so he just said like god is something people need because they're afraid uh they're afraid of death <laughs> and like it's like a heavy thing to lean on to lay on a kid <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. like i think that's a lot of what this movie's playing with um the squire doesn't fear death like he like he says he he scoffs at god he grins at death uh and like he is someone because he he rejects the idea of all he re- he rejects all that stuff like in the final scenes he uh in his final moments he's he says being able to wiggle wiggle your toes is a triumph like yeah. <laughs> just just the feeling of existence uh is itself a triumph like you we don't have yeah. to look search for meaning in life like the experience of life itself is a miracle um definitely so yeah yeah, that's and also another scene later on in this movie that I like in, was incredibly heavy to me when I first watched it um, is when they sit down and have this picnic. This is after many things after the processions. Uh, what's it? No, the what's it called? The flagellant movement after they sort of go through and do the whipping and everything. And there's this whole little side plot with uh, an actress doing some adultery, running off with one of the actors, and leaving her husband to be kind of miserable. Then they. Uh, sort of humiliates Yoff. They like they sort of make him pretend to be a bear, make him dance and everything. But after all of this kind of chaos kind of happens, they have this really calm moment where they sit down. Uh, Joff's wife gives Antonius like some strawberries and milk and they have this little picnic. And then my favorite little moment of the movie is when Antonius is like, like I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember mm-hmm. Joff singing, the baby being asleep, all of us being here in this moment. And like, whenever I want to be happy, I'll just think about this moment. And I think that ties into, yeah, that other side of the spectrum of like, if you are not looking for answers in religious texts or a connection to God, it's just like moments with people and just like those small moments are things that can be monumental and can make things worth it. And that, that like sentiment really stuck with me and I really fucking loved it. Like it was sort of yeah. appeared in this like such a poetic way. But and when um, he drinks from the bowl. Like, yeah. the way it's framed, it feels like it's like drinking communion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Totally. Yeah. And, love, and love that. during that <laughs> whole scene, 
in the background on the wagon, like next to the wagon, is a skull mounted on a post, and it is yes. death watching over this whole scene. And yeah, then like the, the actor's mask just like kind of floating in the wind, not like floating, but like being kind of like rustled in the wind a little bit. And then he goes from there to I think this is round two of playing his continuing his game with death. And it's him on the left side of the screen. I think it's him on the left side of the screen. Death on the right side of the screen. Between them is the board. And in the background, just above that board in the frame, is his newfound family. Yeah. And so he's not just playing for himself. He's playing for them, too. And Death kind of confirms that when he says, uh, you know, he, he asks, like, about the members of the family. Is that them with their son? And, like, yeah. like instilling this, like, paranoia and fear into the night. Yeah, I, I so love funny. that little. Yeah, it's great. I love that moment when he's like bringing it up as a guest, like, like the like the actor, his wife, and his son. Like, it's like it sort of like yeah. just leans in on the fact that he has like he has like a, a a baby to protect as well, and just adds to that feeling of like fuck, like don't take these people away from me, but especially don't take it away from this innocent child as well. Yeah. Um. So, like, I think one of the next things we get is. The witch burning scene which yeah, like that was like yeah. the next like major moment um back so like back in the day when i first saw this movie like this was my favorite scene <laughs> which is kind of fucked up to say yeah. but it is like i don't know like this woman it's just such a heavy thing and as someone who like doesn't really believe in the afterlife and stuff like this uh the interactions the knight has with this witch where she says like you can look into my eyes like do you see the devil in my eyes he looks he sees nothing she says that him behind you he looks he sees nothing and like i love the like when he looks because we don't see what he sees uh so it almost feels like maybe is there going to be a reveal is he going to see something when he turns yeah. back and it's like business as usual he kind of just like dismisses it it's like nope it's nothing um and as they're burning her, the squire is basically, yeah, asking the knight, like, what do you think she sees now? Like, this woman who believes in the devil, who believes that she's, you know, spoken to him, that he's all around her, that she can touch him. is like, is she seeing God? Is she seeing the devil? Who's going to watch over that girl? It's nothing. And that is what she's, that is the horror that she is realizing now, is that it's nothingness. Uh... And like that, I don't know. That fucking really stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a heavy one too. And it's yeah, it's, I, I really uh, taken aback by like the matter of factness of how like this burning sort of gets set up. Is like they are on the way to the knight's house, and so in the way they're sort of they make this stop, and. Yeah, they're sort of like stopped in this like kind of like this meadow area where all of these other, yeah, all these other soldiers are just like setting up this the stake to burn her at, and like when it actually does start to happen, it's like Joff like covers his wife's eyes, and like it's just I don't know, there's like that weird like voyeurism to it where it's like we're like not really like complicit, but they're also like just there to sort of, to witness this horror happen, and yeah, like sort of there's the aspect of like he gives her. I don't know what he gives her. Is it like wormwood or something? He gives her something to sort of like numb her senses or whatever. So like a, like an act of mercy. But yeah, when she's up there, she has like this expression on her face of just like, 
numbness and terror of like yeah like there's just nothing like it's just pure death and then on the reverse shot it's like there's just so much anguish and pain yeah in max von Sydow's face yeah like his face just like contorting in like such a painful way of just like confronting this horror i don't know yeah. it's just really it, really well done but it's not just the horror of a woman's death it is the horror that there is nothingness that there's emptiness yes, yes. emptiness is how it's phrased he says it can't be so uh he cannot and this is a man who's just like lived through the crusades he probably like killed all sorts of people uh in the name of god a, a yeah. god that perhaps doesn't exist and so he's dealing with you know what is the meaning of all of this pain that i've lived through all of this pain that i've caused is it truly emptiness <laughs> yeah <laughs> if there's nothing beyond this grave yeah was this all for nothing yeah, and also there's a scene, like, uh, well, it's the scene I kind of keep referring to. Back inside of the church when he's having this confession, he's talking to death. There's a line where he says, like, I've looked inward, and inward I've seen nothingness, and that nothingness is a mirror, like, on myself. And, you know, me, I just, that, that, that theme of nothingness is just plays really heavily into how his character feels and how he's, like, perceiving the world and how he's perceiving these philosophical connections. Um, I kind of want to just like on that topic, I kind of want to get ahead to the ending because so o over the course of this movie, the squire takes this woman to like, uh, be his housekeeper. I guess she's going to be his new wife. It's kind of fucked up, but uh, yeah, yeah. this movie, this movie is really cruel to women. <laughs> That's something I yeah. noticed this time around. Um, but this woman, she never really speaks. Uh, I, I, I considered her a mute yeah. uh, up until the end. Um, but when death finally comes for this group, she bows before death. And she gazes up at him in tears. And she says, it is finished. And she smiles. And so I feel like for this woman... Like, first off, this scene isn't, like, the pan that happens during this scene. When, like, we pan to we pan to the left and we see uh, the smith and his wife Lisa. And they're kind of humbled by death. They're just, like, talking about, like, oh, you know, I'm a smith. And, like, oh, we squabble sometimes, you know. Yeah. Like, it's it's very, like, uh, oh, you know, we're just, we're just normal people. Like, it's a very, like, humbling thing. Um, and yeah, then the, yeah. the camera pans across and then we see the knight like with his head in his hands just like completely tormented like that scene I forgot about that scene and it fucking punched me but, yeah, um, it was fucking great but back to this mute girl <laughs> she's bowing before death she's smiling she's got tears in her eyes she says it is finished and for her I, I, I feel like there is a relief in death like there is perhaps a relief I don't know if she believes in God I don't know if she believes in nothingness but death for her, for her, like there's a moment right before this where she's gazing up at a window and she sees this light appear. And that yeah, light yeah. is the coming of death. Uh, it is, yeah, it is a release. It is like the dawning of a new day. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and it's like, I think it ties back into the, just them as the country, sort of, they're just trying not to get the Black Plague. And like, and they've at this point, they've witnessed a lot of just like, really physical wrenching things of like people just doing terrible things to each other and in, in, like in these religious responses and so yeah it's like that release totally warranted for her also a note about the light something i didn't notice when i first watched this um 
uh, just to rewind, so there's the character Raval. Raval is like this man who robs from the dead. Mm-hmm. He had, he's we when we first see him, he's stealing a silver bracelet off of a corpse, and the character John's kind of like criticizes him and like gets on his case because he's apparently Raval is the person that suggested to his to John's master that they go on the crusades in the first place, yeah. like ten years before. And then he basically threatens. He said he threatens him and says, "The next time I see you, I'm going to do. I'm going to get you." And, and he yeah. and he does do that. He brand does. your face or whatever. Yeah, pretty fucking hardcore. He's like, I keep my word. Um, he's kind yeah. of a badass, the squire. Yeah, like it's a shame that like uh, he's so horrible to that woman. Otherwise, yeah, he yeah. would feel like kind of like a badass action hero throughout this movie. Yeah, that's that's the movie sort of also showing his age in a very real way, where it's like okay, like but yeah, a lot also, of those things. Part of me thinks it's like maybe speaking to that the time that it's 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 setting, kind of. Um, yeah, I, I thought about that too because I was like, it's fifty seven, like we're almost in the sixties. Things are like almost starting to get like quote unquote the- theoretically progressive. But yeah, this is like depicting something medieval. So I, I yeah. kind of understand. But yeah, it's still kind of rough when yeah he meets this girl and is like, oh yeah, it's like you're coming with me now. Like and just, like tries to kiss her and she's like not into it. And then he's like, oh, I'm not going to do that because I know it's not it's not fun. There's no fun in that. But he says whatever. the phrase, "I could have raped you," which is yes, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's absolutely hardcore. Not not too crazy about him. Um, but yes. And, and also, yeah, like when he when they're humiliating the actor, and he shows up, and he's like, I'm, "I keep my word," and he like cuts the cuts Raval's face, and there's like no sound effect; it's just completely mm-hmm. silent. He just like falls to the ground and starts bleeding. Thought that was incredibly well done. Yeah, and, and it emphasizes that violence in a really interesting way. Like the lack when, of sound sort of communicate. Like it made me feel like that blade was fucking sharp. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I didn't even hear it. Yeah. <laughs> For real, absolutely. Um, yeah. So when we, uh, when the group is camping on this journey to the knight's house, Raval comes back and he is he, now he has the plague, and so he's just in incredible agony. And the woman who's mute, she like goes to offer him some water, but John stops him and just says like it's not worth it, essentially. And Raval proceeds to have this very agonizing, loud death where he's like screaming and like toiling around on the ground and he falls on the ground and when he's on the ground of a forest there's a very subtle light yeah. that sort of comes into frame it like and I, I just falls thought, towards the camera kind of yeah i just thought that was fucking incredible and i think that connects to the moment at the end when death finally does catch up with all of them that is and, good yeah good point yeah it's like yeah just like the light kind of coming into the the window and yeah it goes back to what i was saying at the beginning of the conversation of like this movie it is black and white but it just does so much with the photography that is available as far as like it being a black and white film but just speaking through the addition of light and just changing of a frame and it's just incredibly well done yeah that ending is just really fucking heavy and then yeah we have a, a final vision from from joff when he's like packing up this uh, wagon to go continue his journey and he looks onto the the ridge and he sees just this incredibly incredible scene of like death leading them in the dance macabre on this ridge and he's just like just they're all linked arm to arm and they're just like going across and he's like kind of narrating what's happening and it's just it just speaks for itself it's just incredible 
I used to have a I, I I created a stencil of that shot, and I used to have a shirt where I like spray painted that onto a shirt. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I got too big for it, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Going back to a, a couple things that you talked about, or maybe one thing that you talked about. Um, there were I've heard that there are like two happy accidents in this movie. One of them is uh, after what's that character's name? The guy who convinced them to join the Crusades. Revol. Revol. Yeah. Uh, after Revol dies, the light that appears supposedly was just the sun coming out. Like that oh, is like <laughs> like that happened while they were shooting. That shot kind of lasts a little longer than I f- you feel like it should. And I wonder if that's because the the sun came out while they were shooting, and they were like, "Holy shit, we got to keep that in." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sort of thing. Uh, the other thing I've heard was an accident, a happy accident, is after. Uh, Scat climbs a tree, and uh, Death, being a little <laughs> Death, being a little stinker, comes out and cuts it, cuts it, chops it down. Uh, a squirrel climbs up on the stump. Supposedly, yeah, yeah. that wasn't like just something that happened. <laughs> That's like amazing. they didn't plan that. Um, yeah, both of those are incredible. Yeah, like the first one, yeah, nature colliding with the creation of this film to like, oh yeah, just like emphasize this yeah. philosophical note even more. But also, like when I see the squirrel hop on the stump, I was like, that squirrel looks a little manicured, a little. I was like, this looks like this. I don't like. I don't know how that would be possible in the fifty-seven. <laughs> But maybe they had a, a, a stunt squirrel or something like, like it's, it's just furry in a way that looks like it was done on purpose. And the fact that it's not is incredible. Um, I listened to the audio commentary on Criterion channel. Oh, cool. Uh, and one thing they mention is that apparently Ingmar Bergman was kind of surprised and like taken aback by like how much this movie resonated with people because for him it was just like oh i just made a movie with my friends over the summer like (laughs) he like because he's like he usually works with the same group of people or or like he has like you know a pool of people that he'll incorporate into his projects that's both like in front of camera and behind the camera uh so i think he just like got about like his normal crew together and he's like let's make a movie (laughs) and then he made the seventh seal (laughs) yeah one of the most iconic movies in cinema history yeah and like it's was a a play before i don't know if you wrote that play mm. um it was a play before it was a little smoother <laughs> yeah and they like yeah made this film adaptation of it and yeah it's just it just does everything so fucking incredibly well um, um i should mention that i am drinking uh ghost town brewing Bre- ghost town brewing saints in hell um uh, this is a bourbon aged belgian quad i don't know what belgian quad means mm, okay but, um i felt like it was appropriate for this episode <laughs> is the quad related to the alcohol content well it is 12.5 percent, so it's like I I'm drink- so. <laughs> it's like i'm drinking a bottle of wine yeah sounds about right mm-hmm. sounds about right yeah ghost town is always yeah they're like let's kick that percentage up <laughs> yeah let's let's get it popping uh, that's awesome let's see Um, as we sort of, I guess, get towards the end, I just want to point out, I think the screenplay in this movie is fantastic. It just has a lot of really great moments that always are amusing and like really take me by surprise when they happen. While watching this, I felt like this movie was a little bit more modern than maybe it should have been in some cases. Like there's a moment 
when uh so, yeah sort of we, we didn't really talk about the whole adultery kind of thing with plog's wife kind of running off the thing the wife i think is lisa she yeah. like runs off with this other actor and there's a moment where plog is like lamenting and kind of like being, being really broken up about it inside of the bar and johns goes up to him and they sort of have this weird like back and forth moment where they're like trading lines and like mm. talking about like the like how painful it is to like be in love with a woman but also like like it's like there's good things and there's bad things but the way like i'm not going to quote it because it's so fucking poetic and well done the way that they do in the movie but they have this like weird back and forth it's like a comedy just, routine yeah essentially and i was like every time that happens i'm like that's really strange like that they like, included that in this movie that this weird like yeah like this kind of funny moment between these two guys but also, um, there's a character, uh, and I know the actor's name is, uh, fuck, totally blanked. Um, <laughs> this actor, his name is, as I'm on IMDb, his name is Anders Eck, and he plays the monk. And it's when the, the procession of the people come into the town, and they're whipping each other. And he basically, he starts scolding all the yeah, people. Yeah, he's like roasting like, everybody. Yeah, exactly. You with the nose and three chins. You with the five heads. 100% a roast session. When, yeah, he like looks at the guys. Like, oh, and you with your large nose and your swollen face. And he does like a kind of thing. Or yeah. he just like, just like completely laying into them, all going back to this theme of, hey, the Black Plague is coming. You're all going to die. And you're all yeah. like wasting your time. And I don't know that he's like completely steals the scene, steals a part it's of the movie. It's insane. For me. Like that yeah. guy. Like to me, that has always stuck with me. His facial expressions because it feels like yeah. he's a cartoon. Like yeah. he's like doing this thing where it's like he's got his mouth closed, but he's like, it's like a I don't know. He'll like, I don't know. He does something with his face where it's like, it's like he's like chewing like he's like taking big bites yeah. out of something with his mouth closed like uh, he, i don't know he's doing something weird but yeah it's, this is really really well done and it's yeah it's juxtaposed with the incredible weight of a few scenes before we see the, the painter's depiction of this terrible terrible progression of people whipping each themselves for repentance and like just looking for clarification and repentance from god and then we see that physically we see that happen in the movie and yeah, in between that is, yeah, this monk just ripping into everyone in this crowd and just completely roasting every single person. Um, going back to weird comedic scenes, though, there's yet another scene with Plog and the Squire where uh, Lisa's trying to get back on Plog's good side and the Squire in the background telling Joff, the juggler, uh everything she's about to say <laughs> to plug yeah saying <laughs> yes, like yeah. uh it's next is gonna be like i'm gonna make your favorite meal and like that sort of thing um yeah he's feeding him lines <laughs> oh yeah and then oh yeah that's when he that's when he's uh arguing with scat is like he starts uh the squire starts feeding plug lines but um yeah. yeah there is a weird there's like that was something I didn't really remember from this movie. It's like, there's a lot of like weird sort of comedy in here, like comedy yeah. routine level comedy. Um, yeah. I think Plog calls him a gilded pimp, which I was like, this wow. <laughs> some bar. This is, this a lot of people would shit. wear that with pride. Nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some great shit. Oh, another line that I really like from the monk is he says someone is bloated with complacency, complacency. And I think that is like one of the more like, modern ideas that i really think is just rings true for, bring that yeah. back. 
Yeah, rings true for 1957. Definitely rings true for 2022. Also, we just something. had an election. So. Yes, <laughs> very topical. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't be bloated with complacency, listeners. Fair listeners. Well, I used to be in a band called Specter in San Francisco. It was like a hardcore punk band. For our first show, uh, over the louds over the PA system before we went on stage. We played the sound of the chanting from the procession. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then like we walked on stage and then we performed. And then we re- when we released our first tape, it was literally the cover of the tape. We, we did a cassette tape because that was what punk bands did, I guess. <laughs> it was um, the photo of death with his arm outstretched, uh, holding out his, his uh, robes awesome. or whatever. See, I think I vaguely remember this. I yeah. vaguely remember that image. That's awesome. That wasn't even my idea. Like the the coming out to the the singing of the procession was my idea, but then our singer like he just like cooked up some artwork for the release, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> makes sense. Awesome. Like, yeah, and I mentioned there is a rap line that references this movie. Mm-hmm. It will be happening on one of my tapes that I don't know when look at us but it will happen <laughs> it will happen music inspired Even shout by... out to Bergman. yeah Bergman. <laughs> jesus some, some <laughs> raucous punks yeah but yeah uh, yeah cassettes are kind of blowing up even with like hip-hop there's like people putting out like stuff on tape it's kind of coming back around i had a friend who texted me the other day and she was like i will never understand collecting tapes <laughs> <laughs> like she's like i don't who has a tape player anymore <laughs> Uh, yeah because it's like i I do have a tape player i have a tape player plugged into my sound system like right here but most people don't do that like yeah definitely zoomers yeah i'm blanking on the name of it but there's a a record shop in san diego that also specializes in cassette tapes and they Mm -hmm. sell like pretty nice cassette players also wish i could remember the name of that place oh uh no, it was almost there, but it's not. So I'm not. I'm not going to falsely name something and lead you in the it's wrong not direction. Lose, is it? No, okay. it's like five something. Okay, right. something with the word five involved. I'll put it in the notes of the episode when I release this. All right. Uh, anything else on the seventh seal? I feel like we still have not done it justice. Like this is such a oh, fucking oh, yeah. crazy movie. Yeah, such an iconic <laughs> film. Such a like a heavy philosophical film. Um, yeah, we. I feel like we did. We did good. Yeah, we had a, a nice chunky conversation about this. Um, yeah, m- much more could be said about this amazing movie um, and the Crusades and philosophy, the philosophy of death, the silence of God. These things are all very relevant. <laughs> God, Max wants to know. I heard was only twenty six during this movie. Oh wow, that's insane to me. Yeah, is that right? No, maybe he's born in nineteen twenty nine. This came out in 57, so yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah, incredible movie. Um, I think that might be about it. What have you been watching this week? Uh, I've just been watching more of Cabinet of Curiosities. Uh, okay. We still have not watched the Christmas episode, uh, but we watched <laughs> every episode otherwise. Panos Cosmatos has an episode, which is, I thought it was very cool. I did not have a problem with the pacing. Emily felt like the pacing was kind of messy. Uh, But I think Panos, you know, 
he likes to spend a lot of time with his shots. He likes to really enjoy just the look and feel of a shot. Uh, he doesn't feel the need to cut away. So it can be slow, but you just got to yeah. get on his wavelength, which is very stoned. Uh, I was not stoned, <laughs> but I understand the wavelength that is very stoned. Because um, Emily doesn't smoke weed. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like, it, and I will admit it, you know, it. I, I feel like it's a little messy towards the end. There's some stuff we see where I'm like... It looks very fucking cool. Very, very, very fucking cool. But at the same time, do we need to see it? Like, what is this contributing narratively? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I had, I, I, overall, I had a very fun time with Panos's uh, contribution. Uh, the last episode is directed by, let me, let me look up her name. Something Kent, I want to say. Um, Directed by Jennifer Kent. Uh, she is the director of Babadook. Uh, so she directs the last episode of Cabinet of Curiosities. And the last episode is based on a short story by um, Guillermo del Toro. It is about these people who, um, you know, record the flight patterns of birds. And they record the audio also. They're staying on this at this house on an island. Uh, to do their research and the house seems to be haunted and the uh, it, it's a couple the the woman is the only one who's able to you know see these spirits um, she becomes invested in the story of who lived here before who died here before uh, and it creates some turmoil in her and her her partner's relationship I don't know if they're married or what um, but uh it it was very good. It is perhaps the best episode. It, um, I, it, I almost wanted to cry by the end of it. Like it really connected okay. with me emotionally. <laughs> like, um, there's like one shot towards the end, which I feel like is supposed to be like an emotional payoff that I felt like was a little cheesy, but that's me being an asshole. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> it, like I understand like the narrative, value of that moment um the emotional value of that moment um and yeah it it really that episode really really worked for me and like 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 the episode ended and i was just like what do i even do now because <laughs> i need to spend some time just like fe feeling what i'm feeling um, yeah yeah but uh yeah cabinet of curiosities overall like it, it is a mixed bag some episodes are better than, like some episodes feel like like i said before adult goosebumps episodes some of them are just a little silly but uh the production value is always very high and yeah i want to check it out there's always some fun to be had um even you know e even the worst episodes there there's something to take from it uh, so yeah, and I think the first episode is one of the wor worst episodes <laughs> because okay. it is also based on a Guillermo del Toro story. Uh, the politics are very heavy-handed, um, okay. and yeah, but but yeah, check it out. Don't if you watch the first episode, you don't like it, don't stop. If you watch the second episode, don't, you don't like it, don't stop. Third episode's great, stick with it. Uh, it's a good time. But otherwise, okay. yeah, haven't really watched much else. Uh, what about you? What have you been watching lately? Uh, so I watched a few things this week. Um, 
first thing I want to mention is a movie called No-No. It's a documentary. This movie came out while I was volunteering at the San Francisco International Film Festival and has a very colorful poster, the player Doc Ellis from the Pittsburgh Pirates on it. And I regret not seeing this movie back in like 2009. I feel like I really would have enjoyed it. But essentially, it's a documentary about Doc Ellis. He's a very mm. good pitcher on yeah. the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, you know, are you aware about his, him? I know his that he pitched a no hitter while high on acid, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> this is the man. Yeah, so it, it does sort of a good job of contextualizing it, his sort of career a little bit more than that. Like the <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh I would hope Pirates. So. <laughs> yeah, um, like yeah, the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were the first major league baseball team to field all black players, though so that was one of the first that they did. And they sort of, they won the World Series, they beat the Orioles, so they, they weren't just like uh, historic, they were also fucking good enough to win the World Series, so that's for sure really notable. But yeah, he is famous for pitching a no-hitter on LSD. That is incredible. Um, yeah, just, <laughs> it's absolutely insane. And for those listening, for those who might not know, a no-hitter is when a pitcher pitches the game and there are no on bases from the other team. The team does not get on base at all. Um, it is similar to a perfect game. A perfect game is a no-hitter, but a no-hitter is not necessarily a perfect game. Um, I think in this one, like, the guy on bat, like, he hits it, but Doc Ellis manages to, like, run and tag the base before he gets there, so mm. it still counts as not a hit. But, yeah, I think it's a really solid documentary. Um, it uh, kind of gets a little more emotional kind of sad towards the end because he really wasn't like crazy for being notable for that like he allegedly says that he never played a game sober at all wow and so he just like just, so every game well, they was were, high on acid yeah <laughs> just just tripping balls for <laughs> his entire career no there was one of these drug, has got to work out right <laughs> yeah there's a drug called greens i forget the technical term for it but it's like a stimulant and so a lot of players from the 50s and 60s were heavily using this stimulant to just be very focused and the best baseball player they could be. Um, so yeah, those, those, if you're interested in like a, a baseball documentary about the, the more rough kind of rough around the edges era of baseball, check this one out. There's also a really interesting sequence in this movie where it's all about him throwing and beating the, the hitters. And like this whole thing got, became controversial with like pitchers throwing and hitting the uh, the batter and became this whole thing of like you're like severely injuring these people <laughs> and yeah. like not really giving them a chance and so now in baseball you can't really throw too far inside you have to throw more on the outside and because of that more home runs happen and so I don't know it's kind of interesting that he's part of this changing of the game in a lot of ways but it's a very fascinating story really well done documentary and right now they're in the process allegedly of making a biopic that's going to star Ice Cube Jr. as uh, as Doc Ellis. So I think that would be a really fucking great movie if that finally gets made. So, uh, yeah, check out No No, a documentary. That's really good. And I also watched Barbarian. I watched that last okay. night. Oh, actually, yeah. I did watch one other thing. But go ahead. Yeah, let's talk Barbarian. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, fucking crazy. It, it's really good. I guess, uh, yeah, spoilers for Barbarian. Since Do we want to spoil it, it immediately? No, well, you mentioned, we've mentioned it before. You mentioned yeah. it a okay. couple of episodes ago. We sort of danced around the spoilers. Now that I've seen it, the floodgates can be opened. So we can just talk about... It's, yeah, really well done. Uh, 
lead it's like it starts off with two characters and then those characters like, yeah like tess goes downstairs and like follows keith into this like incredibly expansive dungeon below this house and then yeah keith gets killed by this beast and then or not this beast a person and then it switches to Justin Long's character driving along yeah. the beach, like t- tapping his hands singing and singing song, to the song. Yeah, yeah it just takes a very interesting turn. Yeah, just absolutely really well done. And yeah, I think it's fascinating that it's uh, Zach Kreger from The Whitest Kids You yeah. Know. It's his first feature-length movie directed. Pretty good uh, debut feature. Um, so I was just talking to someone else about this uh, today. And... I think it was today maybe it was yesterday um but i feel like that movie so for me that movie if it was just the second half it would i it, i don't think it would be a great movie i wouldn't refer to yeah. it as a great movie <laughs> i think the second half is aided by having the reveal like it shakes you up and you're like okay like you're surprised there's a thrill in the surprise there's a thrill in laughing at how absurd um, Justin Long's character is when he's measuring the dungeon, trying to figure out yeah. if he, like he can get, uh, you know, a better price he, for it. He just sees dollar signs. That's you all know, he sees. <laughs> we are we're we're all laugh, having a laugh at landlords. Um, but uh, I feel like yeah, if it was just that second half, it would not be a strong movie. And I feel like that second half goes on for long enough after the reveal that I have to readjust to what it is. Um, yeah. So it's like, I have a really strong first half, get this reveal, I'm having fun, I have to readjust to what it's become, and now I'm no longer really having fun, it's just kind of an okay movie. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. Okay. Uh, I, what, yeah, before I move on to what I saw, which is kind of linked, uh, tell me, yeah, how, how, do, how did you feel about Barbarian? Yeah, I, I thought it was really solid. Um... Yeah, really enjoyed the switch. Yeah, I think the tone in the first bit is really good. Um, I also think it's sort of elevated by this little miniature flashback we get that comes midway towards the end Mm -hmm. where we uh, sort of hang out with the man that sort of caused all these events to unfold. That is definitely well done, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also, it helps because they take more of a risk visually. And it's like shot with like on a different lens. And it's like just had like the cameras placed at like at shoulder length kind of. And it has like this floatiness to it. And just the color palette is just like blown like crazy. It's like way more vibrant. And it's interesting because, yeah, this movie is set in Detroit. And it starts off with like, oh, yeah, like it's a rundown neighborhood, a lot of like browns and blacks like palette colors like on screen and then it can it gets bright with the switch when you go to the beach scene with justin long's character but also when you have this flashback it's like neon colored it's like really psychedelic when they're depicting old detroit like in the 50s i guess or whatever but everything just looks like candy colored like it's just Mm. absolutely insane and also great casting by uh kurt brunholder uh, i forget what the comedian's name but he plays the neighbor of this this psychopathic man yeah and he's just like, oh yeah sorry sorry let you know that we're moving like it's just his i think his the casting and that was really great i like his little his little cameo performance is fantastic and yeah when we sort of get the reveal of what is happening and like 
the causes of all these things. It, it is it is like kind of heavy, kind of grotesque in a lot of ways. It reminded me of Don't Breathe a little bit. It reminded me of that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I thought it was good. It has, I feel like, a lot of hype. And I think it deserves the hype that it gets. I appreciate when a lower, like a mid-budget kind of horror movie can make back its budget and then some and then like and i did not think it would be good like i remember seeing that trailer and it's like from the producer of it and it's like really we're (laughs) getting excited about who produced something now yeah Um, you gotta get it if it's a name you gotta get it okay fine we can link it to it yeah um yeah and i'm actually I'm, i'm surprised because i didn't see this in theaters didn't see the trailer uh I saw some memes about it on Twitter and some things that could have definitely been spoilers, but I managed to avoid enough of this to be pleasantly surprised while watching it. My friend Caitlin gave my friend Viv fake spoilers going into this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember what she told him, but she, she, like my friend Viv was telling me, yeah, Caitlin has a bad habit of spoiling movies. (laughs) I was like, I haven't really noticed uh he's like and then like he told me about sing barbarian and i was like oh she gave you the wrong spoilers like she she like intentionally misled you uh That's great. which i think is really clever um but uh yeah i think this movie is like very well directed i i think it's just like structurally um i think there's just like i i, I just <laughs> Like, for me, it was just like, really? That's what this movie is now? Now it's just like, we're dealing with this, old, like, crazy old lady <laughs> like yeah, for an extended yeah. period of time. Like, I think maybe if that, if post-reveal was a little shorter, uh, I wouldn't have kind of, like, it wouldn't have lost its charm for me. Um, yeah, I, I guess I agree. I, I really like the scene where she, like, gives her the bottle, and it's like this really disgusting oh, <laughs> baby yeah. polish just, just drink it to like just make her happy yeah. but yeah we spend a lot of time with the dumb cops also the the very unhelpful police who are just like get your hand like don't touch the cop police car and just like being well, really distant but I, I understand it's like it works and it like yeah, ties so. into like what this movie is saying about like gender and um, yeah so okay here's a question is keith actually a good guy yeah, uh, I don't know. That's a, I, I, I want to believe so. He's, because he's like a, he's a, a musician, he's a he's just a, a guy <laughs> out a trying musician. to pay the bill. Because <laughs> it's like the whole like the whole first half is playing with the tension of like, oh no, he's a quote unquote good guy. You can't trust him. Yeah. Like, uh, clearly this is gonna go bad. Like, clearly he is the villain of a horror movie. Uh, and then it turns out like, no, he's actually a victim of this other monster. However, yeah. we do have the scene where he like ref- kind of doesn't want to exit Tess's room uh, after he's like saying goodnight to her, and yeah, which yeah. makes me feel like perhaps this is doing the like on one hand we're playing with the you know audience because the audience knows this is a horror movie we like it wants you to be afraid of this man. But is the movie also condemning this man as one of those quote-unquote good guys who's only being nice to this woman because he expects something from her? Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. something I... Yeah. It's a, a good question to, <laughs> to bring up. Yeah, there is like yeah that hesitance for him like leaving in that moment. And it is a little weird. Because like, they do have yeah. a connection. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, 
So I don't know. It, that is like, I think that's a very interesting thing that happens in this movie. Uh, yeah, it, I think they do um, bring that up also in the moment when it's like she goes down there, she finds this bed and the bucket and the camera, and she's freaked the fuck out, and she's explaining it to him, and, and he he's like, really want to believe like but yeah, he, but it. also the way he words it, he's like, it's just a bed in a bucket. He doesn't really mention the fact that there's a camera yeah. there. Like, the fact that the ca- the camera makes it even more <laughs> yeah. fucked up. It's like, like, dude, you, come on. <laughs> like, even if like, it was a like, bed in a bucket, like, isn't that fucking weird? <laughs> like, maybe it yeah, doesn't like, necessi- necessitate us, like, getting the hell out of here immediately. But, like, there's more to this place than meets the eye. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, then he, like, goes deep into it and just, like, continues to fall into this trap and yeah. yeah i don't know the fact that he has uh, yeah it's just a bed in a bucket it's like you're he's leaving like, out a detail yeah. that makes it more sinister <laughs> like and he's like downplaying her what she's feeling yes um, yes absolutely so i don't know i think i think keith the way keith is portrayed in this movie is the most interesting part because i feel like there's a lot of potential discussion there uh depending on who you talk to like how are they going to feel about it sort of thing yeah. Um, but anyways, I did watch something else, <laughs> which I had forgot about. I watched the movie Smile. This other, oh, okay. you know, fairly uh, positively reviewed horror movie. And yeah. um, I enjoyed it. However, okay. <laughs> um, for the first hour, it was one of the worst theater experiences I've ever had. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, because I was, I, I went walking in this theater there's like a bunch of tweens walk in they go up to the back row and they're just fucking uh, talking the whole time like there's some twe- tweens some tweens <laughs> i'm assuming they're <laughs> tweens i pray they're not older than 14 because they have to know better um god they tweens. could have been like 15 16 and just terrible terrible human beings <laughs> but uh like if if you're a child, I like fine. You're an idiot. Like you know, all kids are stupid. <laughs> Whatever. You know, I'm not gonna hold it against you. You're stupid. You're a child. Uh, but if you're if you're fucking 15, 16, you know better than to be making a fucking. You know, it was like there was a riot at this movie. They were running up and down the <laughs> stairs and shit. Like, oh god. <laughs> like seriously. Like they ran down the stairs at one. A, a group of kids ran down the stairs, sat in a different aisle, then later on ran up the stairs. I don't know why they're doing this. Um, like Just getting that energy out, <laughs> and it's like, like, and like they were quiet during scenes where there wasn't dialogue, or, or no, they were loud during the scenes where there wasn't dialogue. They they quieted down during dialogue scenes, but at the same time, it's like, you think it's an accident that the scene is quiet? Like maybe <laughs> maybe the director intended for the scene to be quiet. Maybe they intended that there wouldn't be a bunch of fucking noise during the scene uh, oh no so yeah it drove me fucking crazy <laughs> I, I think gotcha. as, i think at some point someone did leave and because i was like leaning over to emily i'm like should i say like go like talk to someone out like management like should what, what should we do here uh and uh i think someone else had already done that because at some point someone gets up and like gets in a kid's face at the end of our aisle and is like you need you need to you need to stop <laughs> like and i'm pretty sure they worked there like uh the person who did this so yes so somehow management was informed but um yeah i was able to enjoy the movie from beyond that point <laughs> but it definitely <laughs> colored my experience 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that'll happen. So, actually, speaking about the movie itself, uh, I was very surprised by what it was. I, I didn't... Uh, hmm. It was hard to watch. Um, this movie... Trigger warning for people uh, for suicide. Um, suicide is a major component of this movie, which I didn't know about yes. going in. Um, I thought it was going to be It Follows with Smiles. But it is it, it is it, <laughs> yeah, it, no. it is it follows with suicide, and I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it was pretty hard to adjust to once I knew what this movie was, uh, because I'd recently lost someone to suicide. Um, yeah. But uh, like this movie, as a horror movie, like I was really pleased with where it ends up. Like it built to a place that I was not expecting it to. And I was kind of thrilled that it built to that place. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday who said they liked it more than Barbarian. Um, and I think they're kind yeah. of neck and neck. Uh, they feel sort of like... It, it doesn't surprise me these came out in the same year. Um, the other yeah, like yeah. theatrical horror movie I saw this year was Pearl, which feels very different, and I would put that above both of these. But, um... Yeah. But yeah, Smile, like, I understand... Like, okay, there's a scene where... I don't want to spoil it too much, but it is one of those things where it's like, how serious... How... How serious can I take this movie when it has Kumar in it? <laughs> Kumar! Yeah. Well, you can spoil it. I've seen it twice. Oh, you've so seen you it can... twice? Okay, spoiler alert yes, for yeah. this movie. Uh, Kumar rips his face off. <laughs> so it's like, how how seriously can I take this movie? Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's versus Barbarian, which like really wants to say something, you know. Um, Smile doesn't yeah. really feel like it's saying too much, except that uh, trauma is passed on, and perhaps yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this was my friend's reading of it, which I think is a very cynical reading of it. Which was keep your trauma to yourself because <laughs> no one wants to hear it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it is a very interesting uh, conclusion because yeah, it basically it does imply that yeah, like we're just gonna keep passing this on and it's not really gonna get wrapped up in any really clean way. Like there's even some online discussion of people debating or like, is it would have been more interesting if she uh, or if. Not if she did it on purpose or if she accidentally passed on that smile trauma to the younger son when she opens yeah. up the she passed like something the, the on the box him. of the cat. It just I, yeah. it just may not have been this uh, you know supernatural entity. Yeah, it might not be the supernatural thing, but yeah, definitely <laughs> scarred that kid for life. Yeah. But yeah, she uh, spoilers for the ending. Yeah, she like ignites herself on fire in front of the. This, like her ex slash like former love interest yeah. and just like the final shot is yeah him just watching her burn uh -huh. so yeah like I think it's gonna pass on to him right like that's like how it's gonna work and so the thing with suicide is that there is a contagion factor where like this is real uh, not in the movie <laughs> um, yeah is like when someone takes their own life uh, it does there is an element where like it gets into people's heads of like yeah if they did it like what's the point like why shouldn't i like maybe it was good that they managed to escape this uh they managed to end their pain like why shouldn't i also do that um yeah that's 
that's absolutely real. That happened to someone I know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's part of what made this hard to watch. Uh, yeah, yeah. But... 100%, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, as a, you know, if you're not, <laughs> if that's not something that's a reality in your life <laughs> and you're just watching this as a horror movie... I don't know. Maybe I, I guess I'm recommending Smile. <laughs> like it's a hard it's a hard thing to talk about, but yeah. Uh. Yeah, it it is a, a tricky one. Yeah, because even so, like Barbarian has that too. Like Justin Long's character in that movie, sorry, spoilers, oh, is yeah. a, allegedly a rapist yeah. in that movie, and it's very heavily implied that he is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's heavily heavily implied that he is, um, and yeah, he just he doesn't really change. He completely stays an asshole to the end of that movie mm-hmm. comedically yeah, so. so but it's like that's the so, thing yeah. is like it treats it it's like we're meant to laugh at this person and like yeah i guess it is one of those things where depending on how close to the subject matter that is being satirized uh yeah. you are you're gonna react to it differently um so i think a lot of people you know we're sitting looking at our phones, reading about the Me Too movement, unaffected by, uh, you know, the horrible things that these people are doing. And so we want to see these people mocked. But, uh, yeah. and maybe that's a criticism of Barbarian, is that it's not treating its subject matter with the seriousness that it deserves. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, he does, like, throw Tess off of the water, ter- yeah. t- a water tower in a very, like, in a in a way that like I was like this is like I can see how people could laugh or like see this as like a comedic kind of heel turn for this character who supposedly is like making himself who's who's supposedly changing yeah. and like admitting that he's wrong, but yeah it's just like fuck like you just threw a woman off of a yeah. this thing like <laughs> but I think it is supposed to be a comedic like of course <laughs> you know like yeah. of course you haven't changed um, yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, smile is is heavy. I would highly permit, uh, if you're capable of rewatching it in a more quiet yeah. uh, environment. <laughs> it I think, yeah, <laughs> I think that would help sort of dial in on a little, um, a little bit more. But yeah, I can see how it'd be sort of hard to revisit. All right. Anything else? Uh, I think that might be it. What are we watching next? Oh, week? okay. Well, we are still hurtling through death. Uh, so for next week, it'll be my choice. And I'm picking, let me look up the year because there are a few titles that share the same name. And I want to make sure okay. I'm not recommending the wrong one. Afterlife from 1998. It is directed by Hirokazu Kurita. Uh, and I'll read the IMDb synopsis now just because... After death, people have a week to choose only one memory to keep for eternity. Um, okay. Yeah. This is a movie... I think I saw it when I was... Uh, my, I think my sister saw it in a film class or something. Either we had the... I want to say it was a VHS tape of this movie in our house. Ooh. And then I watched it just like... Curious about a movie that my sister had like in her stack of movies... And it stuck with me my whole life. Uh, and I didn't rewatch it again until like maybe six years ago or something. Um, but cool. Yeah. So hopefully 
Hopefully it's good. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Okay. Sounds like a nice progression into this theme. All right. Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, cons- questions, comments, concerns, or movie suggestions, theme suggestions, let us know. We will put it on the list. You can tweet at us at vaguezone. Let us know what you're watching before that site completely implodes and becomes a subscription-based bullshit cesspool for terrible opinions, which it probably already is. But yeah, yeah, it's just going to get worse and worse. But we're still on there tweeting, so tweet at us. Let us know what you're doing. Yeah, this has been episode 107 of Vague Zone. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas. And I am Daniel. We'll see you next time. Peace. Hey guys, it's Thomas, just making a little addition to the end of this episode. I do believe Justin Long's character AJ is guilty of the things he was accused of in the movie Barbarian, but in hindsight, I feel like my wording and tone came off as a little blasé and a little dismissive, so I just want to apologize for that and make this little clarification. So once again, thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next one.